I don't think you really think. I just think you overthink everything. What? Everything. What? I don't think you really think. I just think you overthink everything. How? Everything. How? I don't. I don't think you really. I think. don't stop I it. I just think you overthink everything. I don't get it. Every... Are you overthinking it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm bloody. I'm overthinking that bloody stupid flipping thing. Everything. Yes. Oh dear me. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of Fuck Them Fish, ADHD for grown-ups. The podcast that is for people with ADHD, for people who know somebody who has ADHD or for people who think they might have or somebody in their family might have ADHD and they're looking for a little bit more information. I am Callie Barrett. And I'm Lucky Barrett. And we are here to talk to you about all things ADHD and grown-ups and lots and lots of side quests along the way. I want a side quest jingle. Do you have a side quest jingle for me? No, not right now. Far out. You've had a week. I just want to note that everyone won't realise that this is our second intro take and you just told me off for sniffing. (laughs) That's legitimately you told me off for breathing. No. Sniffing is not breathing. You can't go, I can go, ah, oh, and this is welcome to uh, Fuck Them Fish, ADHD. Oh, was it that yes. loud? Was it like that? Did <laughs> I just like have loud. a jalapeno? Mm. I just got in trouble for dri- to breathe. For... <laughs> I just got in trouble say. for breathing. No, b- sniffing is not breathing. I think a fun way to introduce this podcast for today is that I love it when you ask someone about a thing that they know a lot about and they start with, okay, so... Because you know you're about to get a novel's worth of nerd shit and it's going to be so delightful. I am not going to lie. I start a lot of sentences. Strap yourselves in. I just feel like everybody who's ever been in a conversation with me. The delight is coming. It's literally just sat and they're going, "Mm mm-hmm. Yes, she does. All right, so um, what are we going to talk about today, Lockie? What's today's episode about? Diagnosis part two. I refuse two. to say it. Say it again, sorry. Diagnosis part two. Mm-hmm. Diagnosis part two. Yes, so what, uh, we're going to focus today on self. We're going to revisit some of that self-diagnosis. And we're also going to look at... The importance of support for schooling, especially with children and going down that avenue, avenues of diagnosis. Yes, so child diagnosis, because although this is ADHD for grown-ups, a lot of grown-ups are parents, and um, I think this week I've had, oh my goodness, I can't even count how many messages I've had saying how much they've loved um, the, what we did so far in episode four, which was fantastic, um, so so good to hear, but that you know, a lot of questions asking us to really look more at that, you know, give some more information if we can about our experience with child diagnosis. Because again, what are we not? Experts. Exactly. So not professionals. It is about our experience. That's what we talk to. As part of that experience, we, you know, we do go down a lot of hyperfixation research, speak to a lot of people. But, um, you know, so we want to share that information that we find because not everybody is as pushy as us. And I think it's a fair run to have a conversation about because if I was aware of the things that I knew now when we were talking about some of the things, I'm not going to put my lips on the mic. I feel that I'm probably a lot louder than you because I'm a lot closer to the microphone than you are. You have the fancy chair and, okay, so legitimately you have the fancy chair and the fancy desk space and I'm sitting on an ottoman (laughs) in the corner. (laughs) It is my desk. 
Even when we had a guest, they had the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've got the ottoman. You can have the at the couch. child's desk. <laughs> you can. <laughs> exactly right. As I was saying, you could have the couch from it's your high there. horse. You sit up there on your high horse in My your fancy desk, tower. and I'll sit here, you know, in the dirt. Mm. It is important to note that as this journey has progressed, thinking back to all of the childhood leaps that you go through with a small child. With like You mean as in like milestone yeah, type things? Yeah, and okay. not understanding how, especially when we're talking about our little one, how her brain works and what I know now, I wish we had gone down this path a lot sooner in terms of figuring things out. Like why won't she settle? Why won't she settle? Because she's got a million things in her brain and we've only just discovered recently that if we give her a notebook to write things down, yeah, she can settle a lot quicker. We gave her a journal. Yeah, at night. Something so simple, but something you're like, why won't you just settle? And we have like these little disruptions before bed. Mm-hmm. We have disruptions because she can't she can't settle. remove those thoughts mm. without having something. Yeah, so this week as well, it's also really, really timely because uh, she's had her formal diagnosis. And again, we do like to respect her privacy, so we don't go into too much detail. Um, you know, sh- we've actually... We've actually spoken with her. She's very happy for us to talk about it a bit. But, you know, again, we won't go into details. What um, we did get, though, from her incredibly sensational pediatrician. So last week, I um, we have had a really rough week, as we mentioned last week. And, um, you know, I ended up phoning pretty much every psychologist and psychiatrist in Canberra trying to find get an appointment and we and, and also called her pediatrician who she was booked in with for the end of October and, and I cried at the poor receptionist on the phone and as a result we were able to get um, um, an earlier um, appointment. appointment thank you um bork, bork, bork. Uh, so <laughs> if you know you know so yeah, so we went to see her and it was really great. It's we're still processing, I think. I mean, I'm still processing it. It was like insert little clappy hand things that we have there. Hang on. I got them here somewhere. It was amazing to be in the room with a pediatrician and for her within those first few moments of spending it with our small child was like you're absolutely right. Validated all of our thoughts and what we knew but put it into terms of far more than what we were prepared to hear. She's just such a supportive person um, that she spent more time talking to the small child than what she did to us and that's the important yeah, key. Yeah, that's she, a sign of she, good pediatrician. She did want to know elements of how it affected us and things that um, were occurring between us but she wanted to know and hear from the small child and that... Well, she had spent quite a bit of time, hadn't she, before the appointment you could see she'd gone through the report the psychologist report that we got in February just for context so because we couldn't get a an assessment for the child um when we were trying to get one in February we couldn't get one um until at least 2023 and it was two and a half thousand dollars just to get through the door um and so you know one of the reasons when we talk about privilege we are both quite skillful we're both quite um used to working with a lot of information we're we're used to working with very very challenging problems and trying to come up with solutions and so you know you have a certain skill set when you do that professionally and we're able to employ that towards this problem with the idea of having to wait another year to even get an assessment 
uh, and it being two and a half thousand dollars. I mean, we would pay it. That's fine. But, you know, it's still a lot of money. I actually did. I want to try and find something sooner. So um, I managed to find somebody from Sydney who comes to Canberra once a month. She has a particular interest in giftedness. Mm-hmm. But I was like, look, I mean, yeah, cool, do that. But what I'm interested in is the ADHD assessment. And she was like, absolutely, we'll do the school assessment, the parent assessment. We'll, you know, we'll, I'll assess her as well. It'll take a few hours, talk us through it all. That was $1,100, but it was also only a six-week wait. So it's important, I guess, Big to difference. note when we, yeah, absolutely, when we talk about those sort of things, we get it, we understand. And for all the parent listeners that are out there, we know what you're going through and the struggles you're going through, but stick with it. Yeah. Because we're still going through it. We are still pushing through, but they're the outcome, the benefit. Well, we're well, yet to see that. Well, to be honest, we're yet to see that because February, she had her um, assessment with the psychologist. Sorry, I'm not meaning to over to talk. I'm sorry. I did talk over you there. We got the uh, the psychologist assessment in February because we were at the end of February, I think it was. And we weren't going to be able to get the um, the paediatrician formalisation because it has to be formalised by a paediatrician or a paediatric psychologist for a child in Australia. Even if the psychologist does the assessment, they can't do the um, diagnosis. And so... We were like, that's fine because we can start, you know, we talk about the, t- the neurodivergent toolkit. We can start parenting differently. We can start, you know, we'll know if we're just imagining the whole thing. I guess, yeah, what I want to mm. mention for the parent listeners out there is don't give up. Don't give up. No, it is hard though. Nothing's, I, I think, so she had some very, very serious health issues when she was younger and going through this Really, I mean, the the pediatrician said she has very severe ADHD, right? So severe health issue again. Really, it might not be of a life limiting like we were told her her previous diagnosis was. Um, thankfully, in remission, but it, it is life impacting, right? So you know, I think it it, it broke us almost in the same way. I think well, it's you broken us. Out, we, you walked out and you had tears in your eyes. And, I couldn't. And you couldn't had to speak. you had to get in the car and go because you didn't want to obviously cry in front of her because then she would think it was something that was wrong. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was that validation. Like I said to you when I sent you a message, was that I am proud of you for sticking with it and pushing for it, because especially for women, the more you push on a topic, the more people will tell you that you are wrong or that. You are overreacting and in two cases now, especially when you're looking at our child and her diagnoses on both parts was you pushing something and you were validated in both scenarios. Yeah, and both of them I wish I hadn't been. And by the way, you're just trying to make every woman in the flipping who listens to this podcast fall in love with you. Stop it. I get so many messages about you with people saying, oh, he's so supportive. He's so sensitive. He is. I'm not. I'm not. But I mean, seriously, me... Uh, Makes about me. <laughs> I don't get any messages. <laughs> no, because no one everyone sends me messages, messages me. I get loads of them. Um, but yeah, so it's been really hard. It's been, especially the challenges we've had with the school is that, you know, and, and I'm not, this isn't a blame conversation. It's not about that. They didn't have a formal diagnosis. You know, it's harder. There's already minimal. You don't get any financial support if you have an ADHD diagnosis. So there's minimal um like they have to work within existing resources to be able to support in a school if there's an ADHD diagnosis. Luckily, we have an additional diagnosis for, for her that will get her some additional funding. But I think yeah. that support system sits in place where you will have a school who is brilliant and will be on board and will support 
neurodiversity within children and do whatever it takes until you even get that formal diagnosis because they just completely understand have things in place. You have some who are probably mid-level and will do what they can, but they want to see the formal diagnosis. And then you have some schools who are still at the beginning of their journey. And that's, unfortunately, that's just, that's just a part of life. Yeah. And, you know, individuals' education on how they feel that they should tend to a certain topic of any description. Yeah. And also, yeah, like, you know, it all depends on how severe the kid is. You know, like we, we've had feedback that perhaps it didn't, the ADHD traits weren't as apparent at school because what do we call that? Hashtag masking. masking. Yeah. Jingle, jingle. The problem is when it comes to ADHD, hmm? not everything. We discussed this last week. We, oh, sorry, not going to do it again. You don't know what I'm going to talk about. H? Doesn't matter. When it comes to ADHD, it is not always as apparent when you're looking at someone, if you saw our small child in the street, you would not think that she has anything other than just a joy and love of life and will sing and skip everywhere. When you know her, her constant singing is a regulation. Yeah, she stims. That's what she does, especially when she is in just an amazing mood or she is worried about something, she will sing. And that's the things that as parents you pick up on that other people will not understand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, verbal stimming actually has a name. I'm trying to figure out what it's called. Vocal stimming. Um, Vim vimming. All right, so uh, let's talk about what's happened this week before we get any further into the actual topic for this week. It is a hell of a day. The Queen. Today. Queen today. So, as you can tell, today's Friday. 9th of September. Yeah, and, you know, Australian time. I appreciate in the UK it would have been the 8th. You would have, it would have happened Thursday evening. But in Australia for us, it's Friday morning. Um, I woke up to the news that um, Queen Elizabeth had passed away. And I'm British. I'm not a monarchist, but I did definitely have some grief uh, with some tears this morning. Like, I don't, I've been in Australia for 16 years, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know. She's just... It's like when somebody that has been a fixture, fi fixture of your life, like a, a celebrity, when they die and you just feel a bit of sorrow, you know, like it was that, but a bit more, I think with the queen, she, she, it, she was the queen. She yeah. was, she was the queen. And the contrast is that I wasn't brought up with any reflection on the, the queen besides on money and queen's birthday, mm. which isn't her birthday. But I can understand why when someone has been that significant in your life because of how, um, everything occurs around the monarchy in England. Mm, it's part of the national identity. It's, I can understand how it would be such a big thing, even though I don't relate to it. Yeah. But then I think about like, what, like what happens now? Like what's going to happen to the world now? Because that's such mm. a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, how much money has to be reprinted? Is it going to be reprinted? I don't know. I think it's a really good question. I have no idea. Do they just take it out of circulation? I don't know. I want to say, I think you can hold place for both conversations. You can hold space to say the monarchy is problematic um, in a lot of ways, like colonization, you know, like all of those things. Actually, people as human beings are complex enough. Our brains are complex enough to hold space for both that and also the, um, you know, sorrow about someone dying. I think one of the most beautiful memes that have come up quite quickly on social media was uh, old Paddington Bear walking yeah. her down the road saying, but a short version, 
uh, I'm ready, take me to my husband. Yeah, it was, um, and, and I think there was one where it just says, you can stop now, mom. And I think, yeah, I think that's what connected with me more was yeah. the Paddington Bear reference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and she is a, a part of the national identity in the same way Paddington Bear is, same yeah. way as red telephone boxes or black cabs, you know, like she's the figurehead of a country that has done some terrible things. I get that. I just thought England was all about the bill and you were nicked, <laughs> mate, and you were off to sun You're Hill. nicked. Do you know, I loved the bill when I was growing up. I was absolutely obsessed. As far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. That's why I joined the police. As far as I'm concerned. Because of the bill. Sun Hill. Sun Hill. Is London. And there was Polly. You know Polly? I used to get called Polly when you I was a probationer. You mate. Yeah. All right. Um, so that was one for me. Have you got one? Small child got put up in her class last week for swimming. That was really cool. She already, you know, hashtag brag, swims um, with, I think, like eight, nine-year-olds. Eight, nine-year-olds, yeah. But I think there's a few 11-year-olds in this class. She's jumped. 11 and 12 she's gone into. She's jumped right up into the big pool now and it is scary as fuck. But amazing Um, as well to watch. Every lesson so far, I sit there for about three minutes and then my wallet comes out of my pocket, my keys come out of my pocket. And my phone comes out of my pocket in preparation. <laughs> I can't swim, but I will dive in there and hold her up and save her if she needs saving. Because for the first time since she has started swimming, she is not with an instructor in the water. Yeah, they stand on the side. But to be fair, she'd have to. She'd be more likely to save you than you save her because she is an excellent swimmer and you can't swim. And she is excited about swimming. She loves swimming. She's very good at it. And that little princess legitimately talks underwater. <laughs> she cannot stop talking. She will swim and talk and yeah. legitimately will just, it is funny to watch a small child yeah. legitimately talking underwater. Absolutely. Um, all right. So what else did we have? Oh, the only other thing I was really want to mention was I did um, get interviewed today by uh, a local Canberra-based publication, which is uh, all about women. It's all about the issues that matter to women. Um, it's about supporting women, um, but it's called um, Her Canberra. And I got interviewed for that today about our podcast. And so that was very exciting. That's very amazing. Yeah. So by the time this one goes to air, this episode goes to air, it might have already been in. Um, Biggie, it might have already been published. Ooh. That's a fun fact. Isn't it? Yeah. So that's exciting because, you know, yeah, hopefully it'll just spread the word a little bit more. And it's so. exciting to know that people are listening and people are wanting to keep listening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hi to Canada. I think it's time to continue on that diagnosis conversation and kick things off. What I do like here is what I'm just reading now is can I self-diagnose ADHD? Mm-hmm. Of course you can. You can Google, you can look up, you can try and identify symptoms and traits and things that you have. And that's fine. You do what works for you in that initial period. It does go on to say that only a licensed mental health provider or doctor can properly diagnose ADHD. Mm-hmm. And you can use the results of this ADHD test as a way to start a conversation, conversation. Exactly. with a partner, relative, therapist, medical mm-hmm. doctor, anyone who you need to continue that conversation because yeah. that's the important part. Yeah. And, you know, some people, they, they you know, that can be enough initially for, you know, medication. I just want to cut in. It also says here, desktop research. Yep. 
This is why it's important because the next little link that I'm looking at here mm -hmm. says, do I have ADHD? Take our ADHD quiz to screen for symptoms. 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 Oh, if something says symptoms, don't, don't click do on the it. quiz. Yeah. It's going to tell you have more than yeah. ADHD. <laughs> Every reputable self-assessment is based on the World Health Organization's ASRS test, right? So it's the one that we've shared. I shared the one from attitude, so ADD, itude, attitude.org, because that was the least plagiarized one. Whereas there's a lot of others that are, you click on them and you, you know, it only gives you a question at a time and you click through. It's not like the PDF, like the one that I saw that I shared. But those questions, because I've been through and I checked a bunch of them, are very, 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 very much based on those questions in the WHO self-assessment. It tells you in the instructions how to, how to read it. It is not a formal diagnosis, though. It starts a conversation. It will give you the opportunity to have those conversations and to pick up that toolkit. When we talk about diagnosis, we cannot talk about it without acknowledging privilege. I do it every time. I know it's boring probably for everyone, but we need to be aware of it. And we need to be aware of the extra dimension of people of colour, and certainly in Australia, Aboriginal people. So for those who may be sitting in that box of do I, don't I, because they are resonating with podcasts and social media and things like that, mm -hmm. that that we've been doing, in simple term, would you say getting your diagnosis has been worth it? 100,000%. Yeah. I would not have believed it based on a self-assessment. It wouldn't have been enough for me personally. If you could put or pinpoint one key thing which has changed specifically for your life now that you have your diagnosis, mm -hmm. what would that be? I've stopped blaming myself for everything. See, and that's important. And whereas before what I would do, I would say, surely it can't be all me. This thing has happened. Here's my part in it. But surely they've got some responsibility as well. And then I'd be like, no, it's probably is me. So, you know, you've always gone your whole life. You've been the person. You've been too much. You've been too loud. So even though you feel this is unfair, you are probably wrong. It probably is my fault. That's what I've done for my entire life. This year, in a number of settings, I've said, actually, I will accept my part in this. I will not accept all of it. And that, it sounds so small, but that, that is life-changing. Because ADHD people, although we all have very different symptoms, there is one very common thing that a lot of people talk about, and that is that self-loathing that I talked about in the first episode, it's that blame, it's that guilt, it's that sense that what I am doing, I am the problem. And the diagnosis, fucking hell, diagnosis for me has meant that, and I'm, it's a journey, I'm not even halfway along the road yet, but it's meant for me that I can go, actually, maybe it isn't fair for me to accept all the blame. And I think the important thing is that things are in place now which change the dynamic of what you've experienced up until now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 100% thinking small child you who used to sit in cupboards with a book would be very jealous that nowadays there are walk-in robes. Oh, yeah, and Kindles. Holy shiz. Oh, my God. Imagine that. Um, no more locking yourself in a cupboard. I was talking you to my mum today actually because we're – I don't want to go too far into this because it is an ongoing issue but – 
child's having some challenges and you know we're we're struggling to navigate school at the moment and make it a positive experience for her um for a number of reasons and my mum said to me today she said do you remember mrs o'leary and yes i did say her name and i was like yes I hi mrs o'leary if you're listening <laughs> she might be one of our listeners <laughs> no very probably not um but yeah so when i was in primary school i made the mistake the beginning of the year, when I first went into a class, and again, village school, Stretton on Dunsmore. And it was the, you know. Now we've identi- identified Mrs. Well, I think O'Leary. We, I think she knew anyway, I'm not going to lie. Um, her and, you know, her network that are all listening. I made the mistake of telling her she'd spelt a word wrong on the whiteboard. She probably would have been the blackboard. Um, she'd spelt a word wrong on the board, and I corrected her. She made my life hell for that entire year. And public like literally would do things like mock me to the class she encouraged the rest of the class to mock me etc no, it, teachers it, are either the absolute best or the absolute worst thing in a child's life it's because of how small people look at adults and so when you see a teacher we instill in children that teachers are someone they need to listen to mm-hmm. and follow direction And so if you see a teacher doing something that is not quite appropriate or if they're being mean or if they're isolating a student. Making an example of them in front of the whole class. Every other little mind that is watching is going to feed off that. Yeah. Think it's okay and follow. Yeah. And even if the teacher's not doing anything too bad, it's important to say neurodiverse kids, a teacher might be saying something that 90% of the class is going to be fine with, but that neurodiverse kid is going to internalize that criticism and take it as criticism and it is going to affect their life. It has made me think about that schooling system a fair bit. When you consider, if I rewind back to my primary school days and there was always that child who was being disruptive, Mm. now I'm questioning whether that child was being disruptive or whether that actually already finished all of the work that, was that we were about to do. That was me. They've read everything. Yep. They're not being disruptive. Mm-hmm. They're already bored because they need the next thing. Yep. That was me. So Mr. Fenner, when I was at I'm high just school. calling out all yeah, of no, the teachers. He was wonderful. He was brilliant. Mr. Fenner, he was my English teacher. And we that love was you, me. Mr. Fenner. We do love you, Mr. Fenner. Um, but that was me. So I literally used to, I'd finished the books before term had started, right? So, and it was high school. So I think it was like year, no, nine, ten, something like that. I remember one time we had this uh, like supply teacher come in. Mr. Fenner was off doing something else. So she was in. I used to read, and I was at a grammar school in the UK. So I'd passed my 12 plus. I'd got. I think I was in the top like five in the country or something silly like that. But I'd chosen to go to this mixed grammar school whereby there was like a comprehensive stream. And the idea was that, you know, the comprehensive kids would, would if you place them with the grammar kids, that it would, you know, everybody would level up as it was. Everybody leveled down. <laughs> Mr. Fenner used to be like, cool. He knew that I'd read it all. He knew that I was turning in like A star kind of um, work. So I was allowed when we were doing reading time to just read my own thing. I'd bring my own books. I'd sit them inside whatever book we were supposed to be reading and then I'd read. Anyway, this supply teacher came in and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this. And she was like, you're not allowed to do that. How rude are you? How dare you do that? And I was like, but I'm, I'm allowed. Sent me outside the class. I had to go sit out there. Mr. Fenner comes back and he's like, 
what are you doing out here? Because I was star pupil, right? What are you doing out here? And I told him what happened. He went, oh, no. Oh, no. Goes and pulls her out and he says, now, Callie's different. Callie is special. She's read those books. She could probably teach you about that book. She's allowed to read those other things. And I just was like, yeah. I remember walking back in feeling very smug. Um, but, you know, teachers, teachers are amazing. I want to say, like, some of the most wonderful people we know are teachers. Oh, absolutely. But some, sometimes, I think it's fair to say, sometimes people aren't the right fit, right? I think if we say that, sometimes maybe there's a personality clash with a small person. I mean, you'd like to think it doesn't happen, but I think it does. Everyone's human. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a police officer, whether you're oh. a chef... You're a human being, you have a personality, and if you clash with a kid, then, you Just know. the basic, simple nature of the universe. We cannot get along with everybody yeah. in our space mm. at all times, all the time. That's just yeah. not how the world works. But when we look at child diagnosis, the school is an integral part. You actually can't get an ADHD diagnosis for a kid unless your school is involved. I mean, I'm sure if you're homeschooling, there's always exceptions, right? But they have to do the Connors assessments, Connors 3, I think it's called. The school has to do the Connors 3 assessment. The parents do it or the caregivers do it, you know, like so you have one done in two different locations and then the psychologist does an assessment. It's important that there is that relationship there. And there is, it's important that the school has a relationship with the family. And sometimes, because every situation is different, sometimes it's the school advocating on behalf of the kid. Sometimes the parents are trying to push it and the school are maybe... Um, it might be nice if they're a little bit more on board, I guess. I think the important thing is for someone who's not a teacher and not diagnosed as ADHD, if you can identify within yourself that you don't have the skill set to be able to support someone. Which is okay. That's fine. That is completely okay. It's important to take that step back and say, I don't have the current capability to be able to manage this situation and find a way of supporting that person, that child, that adult, whoever it is, in the best way that you can. And that's by bringing in someone else who may be able to work with them and support them better. Yeah, 100%. And when you look at in Australia, and again, we'll keep framing this in Australia for now. In Australia, it's about one in 20 kids have... ADHD at the moment, right? So most classes are, what, between 25 and 30 kids or maybe 22 to 26 kids, something like that. I'm not quite sure exactly of the ratio. There's going to be at least two in your class, in every class of kids. You have to assume there's going to be about probably two kids, potentially undiagnosed. And so while teachers already have a ridiculously heavy burden you actually kind of need to know about it now, right? And uh, the other day I posted up a um, just some stuff. It was more things I've learned since I've, you know, since accepting my diagnosis type thing. And one of them was that no matter how hard teachers try, the training isn't available in the system um, to the extent it needs to be. And there are not enough resources. Teachers are under too much pressure. And so trying to differentiate teaching trying to respond no matter how hard a teacher tries it's almost impossible for them to do it for every kid that needs a different support and so I guess for us where we've where we've kind of found it's 
like challenging as well. Like we acknowledge that we expect we respect that we go into that with our start point and we say, okay, how do we partner on this? How do we have relationship on this? How do we help to ease the burden, you know, of that schooling pressure, that resourcing pressure that how can, how can we all be, how can we all do this together? Which is, I thought was what schools wanted. It's not been our experience, unfortunately, but like, I do think that when you're a teacher and you have so many challenges like you know I did what a whole flipping year of a teaching masters before I realized not for me at all right I realized that and I was like nah I can't do it so I have utmost respect for teachers um because I've I tried to do it realized before I even started I was not I was not going to be able to Shout um, out to all our teacher friends. 100%. Which, is, which has been handy for us as well. Oh, my God. It's been so helpful. As Thank you. Because when you are going through the motions of trying to understand how to work through this, especially with a small child, teachers are the next best thing compared to medical professionals because they have experienced mm. different children, different learning styles, different experiences, and... Yeah. They're kind of like this little fun-filled, important niche of experience. Well, they're a critical part of the diagnosis journey. That you need to tap into. Which and is, the support which is, journey. Which is amazing that we have so many teacher yeah. friends to be able well, to rely on. Well, we've been on. very lucky that we have yeah. that because we've maybe not been getting that from other places. The last thing we would ever want to do is bash any, any teachers because I don't think it's that straightforward. I can see how um, if you've got 20 odd kids in your class... You've got limited ability to differentiate teaching. You've got, and this plays back into that girls thing, right? If most of the girls who have some form of neurodiversity have the inattentive type or are masking their hyperactivity, because our kid is hyperactive, impulsive type, that's, but she masks and she people pleases to the point where it's heartbreaking to watch. She will, she will tell you what she thinks you want to hear, right? And so... If you've got the kids that are masking that heavily, then yeah, you do put your attention on the ones that aren't, on the ones who maybe don't have the strong support at home. It's an interesting concept to think about is that masking can start from such a young age. So young. So while these children, these little fresh minds are still figuring out who they are and where they fit into the world, they are already creating coping strategies that they don't understand yet. Well, like I said, I was five when I realized I needed to be different. And I'm five 27 when, when and I don't understand it. Well, I had already heard enough criticism. I just realized you said you're 27. I already, I'd already heard enough criticism or received enough criticism about me by the age of five that I had already realized that I needed to change, that I couldn't be me, that I needed to be different because I was not likable. So... She's seven and, you know, from the things she's saying now, like we're really going through it with her at the moment and we'll respect her privacy. We're not going to talk about it in any great length um, for her personal stuff, but she's, al she's already well along that path. I was reading an article that says thousands of kids are being underdiagnosed and undertreated for ADHD due in large part to their race or ethnicity. And so this is from Attitude, ADD from an article from March 31st this year. You can see why they kept the name right. 
Because adhertitude doesn't fit? No, it wouldn't be quite the same. ADHD, adhertitude. Yeah, it wouldn't be quite the same. Um, But they do say all the way through the article, they actually reference ADHD. And it says, the face of ADHD, and it is a US-based article, is not black or brown, it is white. Both in terms of the patients being diagnosed and the clinicians evaluating and treating them. Bias is a thing. And if you're looking at, you're coming from a particular cultural perspective and you are bringing those perspectives or prejudices to a, you know, as a physician to a diagnosis, then you can see why, you know, people of colour might like be um, underdiagnosed and undertreated and underserviced. Similarly, here in Australia, so our Indigenous, our First Nations people, in, in a lot of rural and remote areas, there are often not that many services. So, you know, that it is a challenge for Aboriginal communities. Similarly, in urban areas where you might have wait lists or you may have transient populations or you may have culturally and linguistically diverse um, communities, there's not always the same level of access to services. I've just been today, I've been making some phone calls around some different psychologists and things like that just to get through the door for a diagnosis, if you can get in, because a lot of psychologists and and things like that have, and psychiatrists have actually got their books closed and have had for a while, you are looking at $2,500. That is not achievable for many, many, many people. It's achievable for us, but God, I balk at it. I kind of go, oh my God, that is ridiculous. When you combine all of those things, diagnosis, diagnosis it's not easy not for everybody and wait lists like literally I'm not going to lie to you I like both Lockie and I have cried today I think we should just we just put that out there um but I was a mess because I just couldn't get I couldn't even get through the door I wonder whether I had anaphylaxis the other day I wonder whether I'm I'm not should we talk about that I'm not skipping (laughs) over that I'm just (laughs) <laughs> trying to get my point across. Oh, I'm not on those antibiotics cool. anymore. <laughs> I just wonder whether in this day and age, now that we have more experience around telehealth and things like that. How brilliant is, is telehealth? Is, is there a niche though? And I don't know if there is. I don't know if something's out there because I don't look into these sort of things. But when you find a good GP or someone who can assist you with neurodiversity, whether there's a telehealth appointment that you can make to speak to someone or speak I don't to a know GP how it works. who is an expert well so I think about Dr. Die. shall we try and get her on like in the next couple of weeks I think she deserves a segment she said she would and honestly she is a legend but I think about her I wonder if because she is such an ally for neurodivergence she is so knowledgeable she is so incredibly em- empathetic. I said that's empathic, but that means like psychic, doesn't it? Or whatever. But empathetic. She is so warm. She is so safe. You know, I wonder if there is, you know, let, let's bring her in. Let's ask her that question. Let's see what the rules are. I don't know what the rules are on that. Us. But if, there are, if I have friends in Adelaide or, you know, friends in another part of the country i don't know how that works i don't know if they're allowed to because tell you what if i can if i can get my doctor die to to help people jesus she's amazing are psychics just neurodiverse people who've leveled up 
<laughs> I wonder. I don't know. I don't reckon we should go there. That is definitely not a thing that I've been qualified to speak about. I just keep seeing these things in my head of people just leveling up when they figure out that ADHD is a superpower. See, all I've got now is level up, level up, level up, level up, level up. <laughs> in my head. And if you know, you know. It is a, it's a, it's, what, is it a Me and the Stallion or something like that? I don't know. Anyway, it's a song. I came out in massive hives from, so you know how I was not drinking? I was doing really well, actually, on the not drinking thing. It was Can amazing. Confirm, you did do very well. Yeah, and I loved it. I felt really good. Like, I don't drink a lot. It sounds like I drink a lot. But we would drink, say, one or two glasses of wine a few times a week. We never, ever, ever get drunk. Never. In support but of you. We drink like French people. In support of you, I had some pantry gins. You have gone through three bottles of gin. It is not okay, actually, because I don't have any. Is there any of that Nottingham gin, le- gin left? Yes. One shot or something like that. There is enough for you to taste You got, it. went through all the Cairns gin. There, no, I no, kept you to left the plum a little one. bit of the plum one. I like the green one. But you like the plum one too. Well, yes, I do, but I prefer the green one. And there's all of the apple one. Yeah, thanks for that. The one that we can get from Dan Murphy's. You're welcome. Anyway, so... Pantry gins for the win. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. By the way, that just means you lock yourself in the pantry and... We don't have a door in the pantry, so you don't lock in it. You know what you do? You crouch down in the pantry and hide and wait for your wife to come round and and drink gin. Drink gin silently while you're eating snacks. Yeah, you do have this really mad tendency of going in the pantry and I just hear all the jars open. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I have all my stuff is decanted into jars. And um, labelled. And you open. I just hear all these jars opening. And then I'm like, how have I bought this Costco pack of like, you know, those chocolate coconut wafer biscuit things. They're which amazing. Are just amazing. And there's two left. <laughs> They're supposed to be for the kids' lunchbox. I think the thing is because I stay in the pantry when I'm snacking, like I don't have to take the jar out. You feel like you're not. And so I'm not snacking because the jar stays in the pantry. So if it hasn't left, did I even eat? Yes, you did because there's none left for the rest of us. There's no proof. Um, Anyway, so I uh, broke out in a lot of hives all over my body. And I was like, oh, this doesn't look good. Took some antihistamines. Went to see the doctor and she was like, no. Hmm, do not take any more of those. You're having a very... Let's just add this to the list of things you are very allergic to. Yeah, very mild anaphylaxic reaction to that. So I'm not taking them anymore. I'm still trying not to really drink, though, although I'm going to go get a wine in a minute. Cats, excuse me, we're recording. Jumping around like crazy things. Thank you very much. The dog's in his bed. He's doing a good job. Another fun thing I was looking at because Mm -hmm. I enjoy piecing things together is I love a good love language. I love a good love language and trying to figure out how people connect. And so obviously in a relationship, you want to figure out how is best and most appropriate to connect with your partner. And then that took me down the rabbit hole of not only love languages, but are there neuro divergent love languages oh yeah is that something that you've thought about um no because i don't like love languages i think they're stupid but um you know that's very dismissive of me so they're just not okay so i'll rephrase that they're not stupid that was me just being a bit silly they're not a thing that works for me 
Are they, I can understand them. Are they not for you because in the sense of the standard love languages... They don't work for they me. They just don't yeah. work for you. Yeah, actually, yeah. good point. See, so they're, yeah. not, they're, okay. not, they're not stupid. They just... You they know, don't work for me. Square peg, round hole. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm listening. And that's what got me interested. I was like, so what, how do you interact? Because people have asked us through the um, social media, how do you interact with your partner, relationships, those sort of things. Yeah. And I found, and these may or may not be real, but I thought they were kind of cool. Yeah. And it was the five neurodivergent love languages. Oh my god! Well, we need to this. We need to share this. So so we'll do make like sure a whole. We've got that link. Yeah. We'll do a whole thing about them and probably have to dive into it deeper. But the five neurodivergent love languages are info dumping. <laughs> yep. Parallel play. Yeah. Support swapping. <gasps> this one I don't quite. I'll read it out when we go down and it will give me a bit more insight into it. But please crush my soul back into my body. Oh, okay. And I think I know what that means, but I want to hear more, yeah. The last one is quite an obvious one. I found this cool rock button leaf, etc., and thought you'd like it. I think mine might be info dumping. Flip side. Go. ND, love languages. Yeah. So info dumping is talking about an interest or passion of yours and thus sharing information, usually in detail and at length. Yeah. Does that um, sound like the oversharing much? Well, yeah. No, it, I mean, yes, it's like it. oversharing, I think, is a little bit different. I can see oversharing would fall into it. But where that's a love language is most people don't care and they don't want to hear and they won't listen to it. And when as a neurodiverse someone, you find someone who not only listens to you info dump, but engages in a meaningful... Oh God, I'm getting teary. My goodness. Like when somebody listens and appreciates and your info dumping, I can see why that's a love language. Like legitimately, I've got tears in my eyes here. You do. There can confirm tears. So that that's that one, info dumping. The next one being parallel play. Some people refer to this as being alone together in the same space. So whether you're both reading books in the same room or someone's doing a puzzle while someone else is doing something else. Oh my God, I love this too. Existing together in the same space so that you're spending quality time, but you're doing your own thing to connect because that's what works for you. These are all things that I've thought were dysfunctional, but they're not. They're just divergent. And then we have support swapping. And this is the term that they're using when ND people accommodate or support each other. Like if I remind a friend to hydrate and they ask me if I have taken my medication or a friend helps me write an email and I later help them with their homework. So you're using a strength-based approach that you interact with each other with and it's almost like hey i'm really good at remembering this thing or at this point in time i'm remembering to drink some water hey have you drank some water yeah cool did you take some med did you take your meds i can totally see that that one wouldn't be a love language for me but i can see why it would be incredibly that's almost like acts of service right in the traditional love languages those traditional love languages it probably would be good just to mention them at some you know just so people can see how they're different but we'll do that maybe do that after and then the one that had me a bit confused, but now that I read it, I've scrolled down. It makes more sense because I think just calling it, please crush my soul back into my body sounds really extreme. Is it a sensory thing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's deep pressure. Ah, Rachel was talking about that in episode two. She talked about deep pressure. 
So it's that providing proprioceptive input and can proprioceptive, soothe, yeah. Provides proprioceptive <laughs> input and can soothe body stress responses. Um, it also has a little thing in here bracket saying always get consent. Yeah. But it's that deep pressure response as opposed touch. to light touch. Yours is touch, right? That's your traditional love language is touch. And that would correspond a little bit with that, yeah. I kind of want to look at them all again and see if we can make a correspondence to the traditional love languages. Yeah, we can. We can draw it up. And then the last one, of course, which is, you know, doesn't need any more explaining than what it is, is that I found this cool rock button leaf, etc., and thought that you would like it, which is unconventional gift giving, which... Ah, yeah. Unconventional. Hey, I ordered this coffee. It tastes like shit. Would you like to have it? <laughs> That's unconventional. Um, but so those last three really clearly relate to the um, five love languages, right? So you've got acts of service, there's the touch, there's the gifts. What are the other five? Really this like? actually, if you think about this, pull this one apart. I found this cool rock button leaf, etc., and thought you would like it. So sharing things that are valuable or of interest to you as a sign of affection. Mm-hmm. If we go back to the beginning of the podcast and we talk about the small child giving you a teddy bear or giving you a thing or any time that she feels emotionally unable to figure out a situation. She's always giving people stuff. She gives people things to connect because that's how she can communicate what her feelings are. we've We've always kind of gone, hey, you know, you don't have to give people stuff to be loved. It's her love language. Yeah. Wow. Now I feel... She's a cool rock button leaf. A cool rock button leaf. So here's the five traditional love languages. Words of affirmation slash info dumping, right? Acts of service, which would be the... What was the second one? Acts of service. Does that fall into that parallel play? That's what I'm wondering. It would be parallel play, I think. So I think that would be... Uh, Oh, no, because quality time. So that would be parallel play, would be quality time. So quality time would equate to parallel play. So the support swapping. Support swapping acts of service. service. And then we've got the cool rock is receiving gifts. And then we've got the crushing your body back into your soul back into your body is physical touch. It makes so much more sense to me that way. So they are they are quite similar, but entirely different at the but same very time. Very different in yeah. the way their inputs and outputs are. Let's draw up a graphic. I'm gonna get myself into Canva and I'll draw something up that's got the five of both, and we'll need to make sure we've got the references. So mm. I found that little that's little cool. reading that I did was just a bit of fun for me to kind of try and understand the linkages between the two. Yeah. We have um, totally side quests. So that's two side quests. I love our side quests, so I've got to be honest. I think this all helps, though. I think so as well, but let's start getting back into diagnosis chat. When we start looking at diagnosis, we've talked about in Australia how you, if you think you have ADHD or another form of neurodivergence, now I do want to be very clear, we talk to our experience. I have diagnosed with ADHD. Whether future diagnoses are will be coming, that's fine. If that does happen, we'll talk about them. However, if we're talking about our experience, for me and for our child, it is ADHD. So that's where our focus is. So in Australia, like we say, you start with your primary health care provider, so someone like GP. I think it's important to find a good GP too. So important. Because if you have someone that 
understands neurodiversity, so important. They are going to link you up a lot better than someone who is just following the medical guidebooks. Every single day I get messages from and I see people on social media saying, I went to my GP, they didn't believe me. My GP doesn't believe in ADHD in adults. You know what? If you've got a GP like that, fire them. Literally sack them, find another GP. I'm very aware that's not always easy, especially if you're in an area where GPs are all full or there's only one GP. There are many, many places. So, for example, villages in the UK. I grew up in a village. Our GP, uh, a couple of villages over, and he was a complete prick. He's a cuter <laughs> if I say it in a different voice. I if I had him now, oh, my God. Well, uh, could you imagine? A good GP. Oh, I Literally, as you can hear, I've lost words when you think about the things we've been through. Diagnosis, come with diagnosis. I love the word diagnosis. Bullied into saying diagnosis. Right, if you Google adult ADHD diagnosis Australia, they're the sorts of things you need to to Google, right? Um, Or whatever country you're in. Adult ADHD diagnosis Canada. Hi to our Canadian listeners. Love you. Um, Oh, actually, while we're here, can I just say... I legitimately thought you were going to say Canada say... What? Because you're doing a play on words. Because you're like, Canada, I love you so much. Canada, say. Oh, as in, can I just say? Yeah. I mm, I didn't think of it, but now I kind of wish I had. Mm. Um, so, Canada, say. Um, no. <laughs> See if it's. <laughs> so, um, you know, Google whatever country you're in and look at adult, if it's an adult that you're after. Because they are different things. Um, and so, in Australia, you have options. Speak to your GP. Getting your diagnosis, just that formal diagnosis, can actually be enough at first. might actually be enough for a longer term for you to be able to give yourself that bit of grace, for you to be able to understand yourself better, for you to be able to start using things from that neurodivergent toolkit and putting other strategies in place. So that ends another episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. That was another insightful rendition of diagnosis part two by us you just said diagnosis well i've got to jump back into normal speech every now and then so that people stay on board because one day diagnosis will be a thing no um although to yes. be fair last week i bullied you into saying um adhd so it's probably fair h that h. h h um it's probably fair that you know i say diagnosis diagnosis this week it just sounds so much more fun can I draw everyone's attention Motorbike's to back. the freaking motorbike? He's back. How is this happening every time? It is not ten past nine at night. No matter what time we record, there's a flipping motorbike and I'm losing my mind. Do you think in the outro side quest, do you think he listens to the podcast? What's the actual? Is he coming through the window? Do you think he listens to the podcast I and so swear. now he does it intentionally? I think so. Oh, hi there, listener, motorbike rider, listener person. Fuck off. We love you. No, we don't. Fuck off. Um, right, so I have no idea where we're at. What were we talking about before the dickhead came in? Um, we will all note that I still do not have a side quest jingle, so...
I feel everybody should write to Lachlan on social media. So, or on our email, keep those emails coming in. Yes, we don't talk about them because we do respect your privacy, like we said, but... Um, fmfish at gmail.com. Fmfish at gmail.com. Yes, send us a message telling Lockie he needs to write a jingle for us. Or if you want to write a jingle, please feel free to send it in because Lachlan's not doing it yet. Well, I can't sing and I only play the same thing on the ukulele each week. So, you know, you're asking a lot of my talents. I believe in you. I mean, you can do it. I built you a desk space. I believe in you. Do me a jingle. All right, so we are going to call it there. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to our listeners over in Malaysia. We're a new one for us. So do want, don't want to say we're global, but we are global. I don't know who that the dog fuck is. is that? It's like one of those little toy dogs, that, oh but we don't own one of them. Um, we don't. Oh, you know what we didn't say? We actually had it on the list. Lockie, your dad is here with us this week. He lives... Quite a long way away. So he's Mr. Mr. Accident Prone. Yeah, she is loving having him around. It's good to have him here so he can recover without having more accidents. Going into another accident of some description. Yes. Is that a side quest in a side quest in the outro? Possibly. It could be. All right, let's call it. Remember social media, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. F them fish. ADHD for grown-ups. We will get those love languages put up there. We'll get the comparison and we'll also put up other things from this episode. So thank you, everyone. And let us know what you think about the love languages. Yeah. Love to hear what you think. I I think they're my favourite thing we've done so far. I actually, like legitimately, I've really, I really enjoyed them. So You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. All right, everyone, have a wonderful week. We will see you next week. Uh, Take care. Bye. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Ngunnawal and Yambri people, and we pay respect to Mother Earth, the footprints that came before us, the ones we follow now, and the footsteps that will guide us long into the future.